What Remains Inside Part 2 One Year Later August 1981 Chapter 7 My mother's eyes looked into me. They were steely gray. It was a time warp. The clock said 2.10. The last time I had looked at it, it was 11 o'clock in the morning. I didn't remember any of the time in between. Her eyes were locked on mine. She was reading me. I inhaled deeply, and she raised her eyebrows. In all of this time in between, I could feel the walls melting around me. I could see the orange and brown kitchen wallpaper, the images, an old-fashioned tea kettle, a gold frying pan, rust and gold flowers, all in a 1970s pattern repeated on a white background across two-thirds of the kitchen wall, above the wainscoting. The wallpaper images wiggled in my periphery. They were alive. The little pictures were animated creatures that moved close to me. I could feel the hair on my skin rising. The images drew closer, hovered close enough to count my breaths. Who are these kids? I finally asked her. My mother sauntered over to the counter. She acted like a James Bond model. Her dark hair was dried straight, and she wore a headband. Her skin was tanned, and her face looked young and pretty. She had on her glasses, and she lifted them up to rest on the top of her head. She shook a Winston out of her leather cigarette case. She held the cigarette between two fingers for a while and just stared past me out the kitchen window, which overlooked the backyard. Everything was summer lush. The tall oak tree in back was casting dappled light on the grass and shrubs. A big round circle of dirt sat in the middle of the backyard where we once had an above-ground pool. She lit her cigarette, shook the match out, took a long drag, and turned me. This information isn't to be shared. She eyed me up and down. Her mouth was turned a little in a disapproving grimace. I, was I skinny, flat-chested, and putrid? Was I as weak and disgusting as her eyes revealed? My shoulders slumped further, and I sunk deeper into the chair. I felt uncomfortable, and I wanted to tear my own skin off. Instead, I sat still and lit a cigarette. She was looking right at me. If you tell anyone about this, they'll come and find you and kill you. It was a matter of fact, the way she said it. Who, I asked, who's going to do it? I took a drag, and it was a deep, desperate inhale, pulling the smoke, quickly filling my lungs. When I exhaled, it was slow and long. I was holding on to the smoke. I could feel the lump in my throat softening. I was going to cry. She leaned back on the counter. She crossed one leg over the other. Then she told me casually, Cliff knows someone in the mafia. I don't know who exactly is going to do it, but the man that Cliff knows was... Her voice trailed off, and I thought about my mother's boyfriend, Cliff. Whenever he saw me, he said, Hey, pretty girl. I had gone to Cliff's house once in Rochester, which seemed rural and backwards to me. They'd had a big two-story house with unpainted shingles. While Mom talked with Cliff and his preppy wife, Cindy, I went upstairs with Terry and Cliff's kids. They had a big, messy upstairs attic room, and the two boys were drinking Budweiser's. It seemed as if they would pull out a syringe at any moment and shoot some heroin. My mother scratched her leg, slipped her foot out of her dirty, matted slipper, and put it back on. I wasn't supposed to tell anyone, she said, and turned to me again. She bit on a fingernail and kind of grimaced. 
She looked down at the nail while she talked to me. If this gets out, Cliff said they'll come to the house and kill us both. They already know all about us. They knew that before the plot to kill the two kids. She filled the tea kettle with water from the kitchen sink and placed it on the stove. She turned on the gas and absentmindedly said to herself, I don't know why in the hell Cliff would be involved in their plots. She tossed her cigarette into a cup in the sink and took out another one, leaned down and lit it on the burner. I could see an image. It just appeared. It was her hair catching on fire, then her clothes. I could see her burning in front of me. Then it would be all over. Maybe the plots would continue, but I would never hear about them again. I might read about a murder in the paper, but I wouldn't be intimately involved. Two kids are going to be killed soon, she said, pulling her head up and sucking on the lit cigarette. She turned the burner off. And then she stayed quiet for a while. My mother was calm and inhaling her cigarette casually. She knew I wanted her to tell me the rest. I was scared. I can remember how she started the story. These poor black kids. They've got a hit on them. I tried to piece the story together. I was trying to find out if it was real. I was not scared so much of the story, but rather of my mother and the way she was rummaging into my brain and thoughts. She was reading my fear. She was throwing out this story, waiting and watching. I was the lake where we used to go fishing. Her bobber was sitting on the surface, still while crickets and electric wires hissed. Soon it would tremble, then jerk down under the rust-colored water. For now, she was just watching me. I thought about the kids as she had told me the story. The mafia was going to kill two black kids. The hitman would find them out parking in the woods somewhere. He was planning to blow their brains out. I felt bad for these kids. They were innocent, unsuspecting. That was how they always were in mom's stories. Finally, she said, it's so the NAACP will leave New Bedford, I guess. I looked at her now. I was so scared that my body felt cold. My hands were growing numb and I felt dizzy. If you say anything, Donna, they'll kill you. After they kill you, they'll bury your body in a shallow grave and then cover it in limestone so your skin will rot faster. I looked up at her in horror. How did she know this about limestone? It was a gruesome image, limestone on dead flesh. I couldn't shake it out of my mind. My mother looked at me compassionately. I'm sorry, baby, she said. You're scared, aren't you? What I wanted was for my mother to hold me and hide me from this terrible curse. I wanted her to somehow undo it. I was up to my waist in a black, mucky lake. I could feel the slimy fish slither across my skin as they passed by in determined schools. I could feel the snapping turtles and eels. I could feel the water rising. I wanted my mother to take my hand and pull hard. I wanted her to use all of her might to help me out. She inhaled deeply and then pointed her cigarette at me. If you don't believe me, I can take you out to Freetown State Forest and show you where the shallow graves are. I felt a rush of adrenaline pulse through me. Her words were suspended in a space outside of me. They lingered there and they penetrated my reason. I didn't want my body to rot fast all alone in the empty woods in a shallow limestone grave. I looked up at my mother's schoolhouse clock. It was 7.30. I didn't know how long I had been sitting there.